This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Uh, I want to talk to you for a little while about Mary and Martha. And this study is... Uh, not a, it's, it, there's not a lot of verses about this particular story. We just got five verses that we're going to be starting out reading and take our sermon from there. But I'm, I want to say that these five verses have so much in them. And so I want to read this just to begin and then we'll dive off into our text. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38 says, Now it happened as they went, he entered in a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. You know, this story is, is honestly, it's very remarkable for so many reasons. And you know, of all the encounters that the Lord had in his three and a half year ministry on this earth, this one right here, this story about two sisters is immortalized in God's holy word. And I think that's remarkable. I think sometimes we tend to miss the point of this story. We make it about women. We make it about kitchen work. We, and, and it's not about that. It's much bigger than that. It's greater in perspective of this moment, of what was going on inside of their home. It isn't just a tale of two sisters. It's a tale of two hearts, of two perspectives. It's a tale of some great things. We're going to be critical of Martha. And, uh, and I want to I be very clear about something. Let's not feel so wise and discerning that we villainize her. Uh, let's not judge what kind of person we believe Martha is from this one encounter. We wouldn't want other people to do that about us, to take maybe one of our worst moments and judge us. This probably wasn't her worst moment, but let's not judge Martha. We're not going to villainize her. She's not the villain of the story, but we are going to be critical of her because the Lord was critical of her, and there's some things we can learn about Mary and Martha. But again, there's things for men here. There's things for women. There's things for children. This is not a study that is toward women. This, it's much greater than that, as I said. So let's dive off for just a moment. Go back into the text. Verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha, listen, welcomed him into her home. There's two things I want to notice about this. Number one, Martha was hospitable. She was a welcoming person and she welcomed the Lord and his disciples into her house. Her house. Do you see that? It's her house. Mary lives with her. Lazarus lives with her. It's her home. And if you've ever had people in your home, you know that sometimes that can be a burden. And it's a sacrifice to be hospitable and allow people into your home. But this is a very commendable thing that we see from Martha here. A very commendable thing. In fact, we read in Romans 12, 13. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Given to hospitality. The idea is to be addicted to, to be prone toward. 
And I think that's just who she was. That's the kind of person she was. She was a person who was willing to open up her home and be hospitable. She was welcoming. Now, I know that this is one of the qualifications for elders, but, but I want you to notice this is something that is said to all saints. Romans chapter 12, go read the chapter. It's to all saints. That's a characteristic of being a Christian is being willing to open up your home and be welcoming to people. And Martha certainly exemplifies that. And not only does she exemplify hospitality, she exemplifies it in much serving now, I know, we're going to talk about this up here in a minute, but I want you to notice this, much serving. That's a great characteristic. Very similar to what we read at the end of our lesson this morning, Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. I'll tell you, this is a sign of greatness, serving. So these two things that we see in Martha, hospitality and service are great attributes. So the question is, if hospitality and service are such highly exalted virtues, then why did the Lord rebuke her? Why did he correct her? So let's go back to the text, verse 40. Once again, it says, Martha was distracted with much serving. I want you to get the scene. Let's try to imagine that we're in the room and we're watching this situation unfold. And I, I, I'm going to just kind of paint a, a verbal picture here. Imagine the Lord and his disciples in this small house. And over here is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is teaching. And just imagine Martha, and I'm going to use this a couple times probably, Martha-ing around all through the kitchen, trying to get all of her stuff ready. I mean, she's busy. She's got a lot of people in her home, so she's bringing drinks, she's bringing food, she's making sure people are comfortable. It is very frantic. She is working tirelessly to make sure that her guests are taken care of. And here's Mary on the floor, and her full attention, her eyes, her ears, her mind, her heart, they are focused on Jesus. And where is Martha's focus? On Martha and on Mary. That's where her full attention is. Do you get the picture when it says she was distracted? You know, when you say somebody's distracted, that infers they're distracted from something. What is she distracted from? The Son of God is in your home. And he's pouring out the word of life. And you're mad at your sister because she wants to sit there and listen. You're mad. You're upset. Not only are you upset at her, you're upset at the Lord. Can you imagine asking Jesus such a Lord, do you not care? Whew. That's pretty strong. Do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? And then she says, tell her to help me. <laughs> Lord, you... <laughs> kind of misuses of the word Lord there, isn't it? Lord, you tell her. Her attention's not in the right place. Hospitality, great. But you know, we're told something about hospitality. It says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, why do you think this commandment's in the Bible? I'll tell you exactly why it's in there. Because hospitality 
can be and often is very frustrating. Very frustrating. Uh, I'll tell you, I grew up in a home with, with Debbie, and she was very, very adamant about good table manners. Very adamant. Uh, I have kids come to my house all the time. They don't have table manners. I mean, you know, none. None at all. And it's something you have to overlook. I mean, you can totally ruin the entire experience of hospitality if you just don't pick your battles and you get so upset at kids because of their lack of table manners. You know, sometimes kids are loud. They come in your house and they're loud and they're, they're chaotic. Sometimes they break things. If you've been to my house, you know, we got a lot of things. It's a lot of junk. But they're my wife's things. And they're important to her. But I tell you, when, when people come over to the house, sometimes the kids, they want to grab something. And their parents are like, oh, no, 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 don't, 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 don't touch that. Toy's like, look, I'm not telling you how to parent, but it's just stuff. And if they break it, we'll buy another one. It don't matter. Our house is kid-friendly. Whatever. You know why? You know why she does that? Because we want them to come back. We don't want them to come in our house and feel nervous and anxious and, and walk around like this. To the, that's not a good experience. And if we, if we can't do that, we need to get rid of our stuff because they're more important than stuff. People are more important than stuff. Be hospitable, but have a good experience. Now, a lot of y'all came to our house at Allison. Y'all know we like to cook. We like to have people over. But I'm going to just be honest with you. When y'all came over to the house, I loved it. Toya didn't. You know why? Because my job was to cook the meat. And I'd cook the meat. And I'd be like, my job's done. And I'd come in and set the meat down. And we'd all sit her down and eat. And, and we'd have a good experience. And we'd sit down and visit. And Toya would be busy. And she'd be cleaning and doing all this stuff. And I'd be like, wasn't that great, honey? <laughs> She's like, mm, yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't picking up on that. Because, sorry, ladies, sometimes it just right over our head. But I noticed I was really enjoying hospitality. And she was not. And so we made an agreement. When we have people in the house, you know what we're going to do? We're going to eat and everything's going to stay out on the cabinet. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but if you leave it there, it's going to get old. We don't care. Yeah, but the dishes are going to get crusty. We don't care. It's going to sit there until our company leaves. And then we're both going to go in there and we're going to clean everything up. You know what? Hospitality is a joy when we both get to enjoy the fruits of hospitality. But hospitality is not good when there's complaining and grumbling. You know what she's missing right here, what Martha's missing? The blessing of hospitality. The blessing of hospitality. She's missing the blessing of giving. See, that's what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Do you? You know, there's a passage that I came, came across during the unspoken year, <laughs> 2020. And I, I tell you, this passage is locked in my brain. It's been on my mind. I, I want to read it with you. It's a short passage. And I tell you, it's become a motto of mine. And I'll tell you why. Because I fall short of it. And I think it just exposes the true heart of Christianity. It exposes the love and the service of Paul in his humility. When he said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, so the more abundantly I love, the less I am loved. 
I want to break this down for just a minute. First, I want to talk about these two words, spend and be spent. Now, spend means exactly what you think it means. It means when you have a currency and you take it out and you distribute it to someone else. You spend it. You spend money. It's this second two words I want to talk about, though, that are a greater impact, and that's be spent. You know what that means? Go look this up. If you have a strong, so you want to go look up this word, look these two words up. It means to drain the, the entire account. Let me tell you what Paul's saying. I will give everything. I'll give you all I've got. And I will do it gladly. Is that us? Is that us? That we're willing to take our time, our attention, maybe our resources, and spend it for one another, for one another's souls, and we do it with gladness, even when they don't love us back? Is that us? That's what he says. I'm going to love you when you hate me. I'm going to love you when you give me nothing in return. I will spend for you if you never spend a dime. You know why? Because I love you and your soul's more important than whatever I've got. That, my friends, is Christianity. That is when service is not a curse but a blessing. When we understand it's not about what I get. Serving's not about what I'm receiving. I'll tell you where Martha's attention is on what she's not getting. She's giving, she's giving, she's giving, and she's not receiving. And I'll tell you, that was on her, not on Mary. Because she missed the blessing of just giving, of serving, of spending for the Lord and for others. Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled. I want you to notice that Jesus acknowledges. He acknowledges. He cares. He knows what's going on with her. He, he acknowledges that she's worried, that she's troubled. But, but it's not that she's troubled. The problem is Martha wants Jesus to care as much about what she's troubled by as she does. We would say it this way. She wants Jesus to validate her feelings. And he's not going to do that. You know why? Because her feelings are wrong. And I'm going to tell you, that's the world we live in. Everybody wants their feelings validated. But sometimes people's feelings are wrong. They don't need to be validated. And Jesus did not validate her feelings. And the question is, why? Because she is worried and troubled about many things. But listen, but one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen that. See, Jesus cares. <laughs> And I want you to know, if you felt like she did, he sees your service. He sees your frustration. He sees that. He's not upset at her because of being frustrated. If, if, if Mary had just been being lazy, that would have been one thing. But that's not what was going on there. That's what Martha thinks. She thinks her sister's just being lazy, not being helpful. But here's what Jesus says. Mary has chosen the good part. This is the biggest part of this entire story, the biggest part of this teaching. Mary chose the good part. There's one thing that's needed, and that's what she chose. So what is the good part? The good part is that which will not be taken away from her. 
I want you to really think with me for a moment about Martha. Let's say that Jesus grants her request. He validates her feelings and he tells Mary, Mary, get up and go help your sister. Now what's happened? So Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's getting the good part. She's getting that which will never be taken away from her. And Martha now robs her of that good part, that one thing that's needed, that eternal blessing to do what? To give Martha a temporary moment of relief. Now do you see why Jesus corrected her? She's willing to rob her sister of the good, spiritual, eternal things to give her physical relief. She thought her sister was being selfish. I know I keep pointing over here like Mary Seth outside, but <laughs> she thought her sister was being selfish. It was Martha that was being selfish, but she couldn't see it. You know why? Wrong perspective. Wrong perspective. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. While Martha was busy feeding others, I'll tell you what she didn't recognize. She needed to be fed more than she needed to be feeding. Mary was hungry. That's why she's sitting on the floor at Jesus' feet. She is hungry for the truth, hungry for righteousness. And she's being filled. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, I don't want us to become confused by this passage. You know, there's a lot of passages in the Bible that talk about milk versus meat. That's really not the point here. He's not saying, if you're a babe, desire meat. Here's what he's saying. A baby desires milk, right? A baby desires milk. You, as God's people, need to desire the milk of the word... Not the simpler things, but just the word like a baby desires milk. Have the same desire for the word that a baby desires milk. That's his point. But here's what he says. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. So, you know, sometimes I'm just not hungry. You know when I learned that? Run around with that guy. We go to people's houses. They put food out. I wasn't even hungry. You know what he's doing? Putting food on my plate. And I just look at it and go, I'm not even hungry. Not even hungry. You ever just not hungry? Seems like we're hungry all the time. We eat all the time. Everything we do is around food. <laughs> but you know what? Some people are just not hungry for God's word. They want to be, but they're not. And because of that, they don't eat it. They don't make that decision to sit at the feet of Jesus and get the one thing that's needed. They don't choose the good part. You know why? They're not hungry. Back when we had that last Arctic blast, you know, when it got negative 30 wind chills, we were driving through town and Franklin McDonough pulled up next to me. And we rolled the window down a little, just a little. He said, hey, what are you doing? He said, hey, I'm going out to the house. He said, can you follow me out there? I said, yeah, sure, what's going on? He said, well, we've, we've got a calf in the back. And he said, Monty Paul's back there. He said, this... He said, we've already lost several, and he said, this one, we don't know if it's going to make it, but we need your help. So I was like, sure. So, so we drive out to their place. We get out there. We get this calf in the garage. We have somebody get a heat lamp out there, and we start putting hay down and making this little makeshift corral with these pallets in the corner of the garage. And, uh, you know, Kelly's in the house, and she's mixing up a bottle of colostrum. And I mean, that's the most important thing at the time. we got to get warm milk in this calf's belly. 
I mean, it's, it's vital. It's the most important thing. And I watch Franklin. You know Franklin. He's the size of Matt. He's laying down on the ground in this little makeshift corral with this thing in a headlock trying to get it to eat. And it just won't do it. And I'm watching him sit there just frustrated, shoving this bottle in its mouth, squirting it in the back of its throat. He says, you got to eat, you got to eat. And then he started getting desperate. And I heard him say, I can't make you want it. I can't make you want it. You got to taste it. Because I can't make you want it. Well, like I always am, I go, <laughs> I thought of this. Listen to what he says. If indeed you have tasted. Every time I went to somebody's house with Sean, they'd have food fixed. And he'd put food on my plate. And I'd look at it and I'd go, I am not hungry. And he'd be like, just eat, Igor. And I'd take a bite and I'd go, that tastes good. And all of a sudden I'm hungry. And I eat a meal. Some of us are just not hungry for God's word. You know why? We won't eat it. We won't taste it. When we do taste it, we just taste it out of obligation. We just read it and go, well, I did my duty. No, you got to taste it. you got to open up your heart, open up your eyes, read it, meditate on it, ponder it. Let it sink in your heart. Let it experience its fullness, experience its warmth. And I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll be hungry for it. You'll love it. You know what happened to that calf? He loved it. But it took a while. That's really the calf. <laughs> Next day, woke up. Emma went out there, put a bottle in its mouth, right down the pipe. You know why? Finally tasted that milk and loved it. Named him Lasher. Had big old eyelashes on him. I'm going to tell you, if you don't learn to hunger after God's word, you're going to die. I don't know how else to say it. You're going to die. You're going to shrivel up. You're going to become malnourished and you're going to die spiritually. You better learn to love God's word. You better taste it. Mary loved it. She was hungry for it. She wanted it badly. And so I just want to ask you as we start to wind down this afternoon, are we more like Martha or are we more like Mary? I think that's a hard thing to really consider. So I just want to ask a few questions. Is our attention on the wrong things or do we make sacrifices to give our full attention to the Lord? And be rest assured, you will have to make sacrifices if you're going to do it. Now they may not be that big a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice nonetheless. I'll tell you what Martha would have had to do to make the right sacrifice to go sit at the feet of Jesus. She'd have had to quit serving everybody and let everybody judge her for not serving them. That'd be a sacrifice. Sometimes we have to make other sacrifices in life. Colossians chapter 3 and 2 says, Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Now I've used this illustration here, but I don't preach here that often, so maybe it hasn't been overused. Uh, but a while back I made this illustration, and I want to use it again for just a moment to talk about this idea of setting our mind on things. We've got a certain way that our eyes work. We've got what's called the focal point of our vision. And everything within that focal point is very sharp and very clear and very concise. Then we've got what's called the periphery, which is out here, outside of that focal range. And, you know, I've got pretty good peripheral vision, so if I look straight ahead, about right here, I can see both hands moving. 
Now, I know their hands and I know their fingers moving, but the truth is, I, I really, if you said, how many spots do you have on your hand? Well, it'd take a while because I'm a ginger and freckled, but I, wouldn't, I couldn't tell you unless I moved them out of the periphery into the focal point. You understand? Things are different in the focal point than they are in the periphery. Set your mind on things above. Put them in your focus. And I'll tell you what happens too often. We're just like Martha. We get distracted and we take the world and we put the world here and we put God here. That's what happens. And so we're focused on the world. And so when we wake up in the morning, our happiness is determined by what's going on in the world. Sometimes what's going on on Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or whatever your flavor is. And that's in your focus. And we're walking around all day thinking about the things of the world and they're in our focus. And the problem with that is God is over here. And we don't see the really important things. We don't choose those good parts. We don't even know the needful part because God's here instead of here. And the problem is if you've got God here, your life is a total mess. I'm just telling you. Because you put your happiness in the wrong basket. You put your peace in the wrong basket. You put your mind and your heart in the wrong basket. And you need to take God out of your periphery and put him back in your focus. That's what it means, set your mind. The truth is when God's here and I see him clearly and I see the spiritual things clearly, I still see the world. But it's in the periphery. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't influence me. It doesn't take away my peace. I know it's there. But it's not here. And so it's not here. You get the point? Mary's got Jesus here. Martha has him here. So what comes from that missing perspective is that we become anxious about the cares of life. Jesus is not saying don't care about life. <laughs> that's, that's not a good advice, don't care about life. Some people think that. Well, you just didn't care about life. No, you need to care about life, but don't become anxious about the cares of this world, about the cares of the things that really aren't the good part. They're not the thing that's needed. They're the many things. For instance, Luke chapter 8, 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they heard go out and are choked with cares. Same word, cares. Riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. You know what the problem is with distractions? Is that they don't just distract you. They choke you. You ever been choked? I've been choked. <laughs> Tell you, it's scary. It is scary. When you're choked, tell you what you can't do. You can't think. Can't think clearly. You become desperate. You just fight for air. What did, what did he say chokes us? Cares, riches, and pleasures of life. You know what happens when we're choked? No fruit. No fruit. Now, we, we don't have time to go into all the parables about fruit, but you know what the Bible says about fruit, don't you? About being a tree in the kingdom of God. About Jesus coming and finding no fruit on a tree. No fruit, he says. Why? 
Choked. How'd that happen? Perspective. Attention. Mindset. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 through 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which, listen, drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You ever heard anybody pitch a business plan and say, well, I've got this business plan and here, here's our two-year, our five-year, our ten-year plan. We're going to start here. We're going to get here. We're going to be multimillionaires and here's going to be the outcome. Number one, we're going to fall into temptation and a snare. Secondly, into foolish and harmful lust, we're going to drown ourselves in destruction and perdition. Does this sound like a great business plan? In fact, we're going to love money. And it's going to cause us to leave God, to stray from the faith. It's going to cause us to pierce ourselves through with many sorrows. Nobody thinks that. You know what everybody thinks? We're going to make money, and honey, we're going to be happy. That's what we think. No, you won't. You will not. It's not going to happen. I'll tell you why. You can have no money. You can have a lot of money. If you don't have God, you got nothing. Whether you're rich or poor, if God's not in your perspective, you got nothing except for this to look forward to. That's it. This is what happens. Now, it's not about being rich. It's not about being prosperous. It's about our desire to be rich. It's about loving money. It's about that being in our focus instead of God. Money can be here, and that's okay. But when money's here, things get really bad. Really bad. You know what Solomon said? The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. I know God's people who look at that and they say, no, 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 that's not. Listen, that's true is what that is. You don't believe that? I'll tell you what's heartbreaking to me. Is I go around to different churches and I see young, talented, intelligent men who could be a blessing for God's kingdom. But you know what they're doing? Making money. To pay off their debts. Because they felt like the most important thing is to buy my wife a $450,000 house and drive $80,000 cars and put our kids in this and in this and in this. And I'll tell you what they do. They drown themselves in debt. And they become a slave of a master. And it ain't Jesus. It's money. And that breaks my heart. And I'll tell you why. Because they don't see it that way. You know what they say? Well, I'm sorry I didn't get to come to church the other night. I had to work overtime. Well, the boss makes you work overtime. Well, no, I, they, they allow me to make that choice, but I really needed to make it because we really need the money. They're, they're out driving an Audi, a Hummer. You know what the problem is? Money's here. God's here. Top priority, money. You don't think that's a problem? You know what Jesus said? No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money can't he didn't say shouldn't he didn't say might not he said cannot you can't you got to make a choice you can have money what you can't do is have money as your lord can't do it So last question, 
Are we robbing ourselves and others of being blessed by the Lord and His Word? Or are we choosing the good part? You say, well, I don't understand. What do you mean robbing others? We'll get to that in just a moment. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. You know what the all things are? The necessities of life. You know what I've recognized about people who typically spend all their time thinking about making more money and working for more money? They're miserable. They really are. They're frantic. It it just dominates all their time and attention and thinking. And I'll tell you what they do. They get their kids to to find something to entertain them. You know why? Because they're trying to make up for some things that they know are out of balance. You know what's out of balance? Mom and dad both working a job all the time and never getting any time with kids. I'm not talking about women working outside the house. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm saying when things get out of hand and we're a slave to the lender and we're having to work all the time, we get no time with our kids. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And what do we do? Here, go play this video game or go do this or go do that. We don't have time for you right now. We don't have time. And what happens? Chaos. You don't think the kids pick up on that? You think they're fools? I'll tell you what they do. They do, what, they do whatever they want. And they pick up on it real easy. You know what they're going to do when they get older? Same thing. And you can tell them, do as I say, not as I do, all you want. I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're going to do what you do, not what you say. That's what they're going to do. And if you seek the kingdom first and you hunger after righteousness, you know what your kids are going to do? Same thing. They're really smart. They know our priorities. Kids are very perceptive. They know exactly where mom and dad's heart are. And we can talk a good game. We can play pretend if we want to. But they know whether or not the kingdom's first. They know. They know. So maybe you've heard a story like this. Well, this is my version of the story because I have the floor. So maybe you say, well, I've heard that different. Well, that's okay. I'm telling the story. So just bear with me. Heard about this college professor that walked into his class one day and he had a giant jar and he set it down on a table. And he had three different ingredients, three different substances that they were going to fill this jar full of. And he said, okay. He said, the first thing I want you to do is he said, I want you to tell me what to put in this jar. And some of the kids said, well, let's put the sand in because that'll be, as the kids say, very satisfying to watch the sand fill the jar slowly. So he said, okay, let's do that. So they filled the jar full of this sand, and he says, okay, now let's put some pebbles in. They said, well, you can't. You filled the jar. He said, well, you're right. So he pours all the sand back out. He says, well, what's next? They said, well, let's put the gravel in, the pebbles. And they said, oh, yeah, let's do that. So he puts the pebbles in. He says, all right, let's put some big rocks in. They said, don't know if you're picking up on this, but same problem. You you filled the jar. He said, well, that's right. He said, well, what about the sand? They said, well, you could put some sand in there. It would probably find its way down between the crevices of the pebbles. He said, well, we don't want to make a mess. Let's not do that yet. So he pours out all the gravel back where it was, and he said, all right. So he puts all the big rocks in there. He says, now what's next? And they're starting to pick up on it. They said, well, don't put the sand in yet because you got to put the pebbles in first and then shake the jar. He said, that's a good idea. So they put in there. Well, they couldn't get all the pebbles in there, but they got some of them. Then they put the sand in, and as they shook it, the sand slowly fell down through the cracks of the big rocks and the the pebbles. Now, that's very obvious, isn't it? Very obvious. But he said, here's the deal. This is your life. That's what this is. Because you only have a certain amount of time. 
And you've got to make a choice what you're going to put the most of in your jar. And if you start over here and you put this in first, I'll tell you there's no room for this or this. But I'll tell you, even if you fill it up full of this first, and those things are really important. If that's all that you fill your jar with, you're going to have a real hard time putting this in. And I'll tell you, that's the real lesson of Martha and Mary. It's not about just what happened in that moment. It's about recognizing what is the most important thing in life. I didn't always recognize that. You say, yeah, Ian, we know when you were a hoodlum and all that. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when I was living over in Allison, Texas. I didn't recognize that. I was doing church work full time. And I started recognizing that my son was very athletic. And I thought, we need to hone this talent. So you know what we did? We got him in sports. We got him in basketball. And y'all already know who was coaching. <laughs> That's me. So we're running all over the place playing basketball. We know with basketball, it's football season. So me and Ben Pig are coaching football. I'm at every game. I'm out there every practice helping the kids, helping them learn about football. I'm out there with Van out in our driveway, him running down toward the church building. I'm throwing 45-yard passes right down the middle of the road, and he's catching them in stride. I'm like, this boy's got it. He's got it. Then baseball come around. And all of a sudden, I get a call, and they said, hey, we need somebody to be the president of the Little League. I'm like, sign me up. I'll do it. You know how many Bible studies I did during that time? Very few. You know what I was teaching my son about? Sports. You know what I wasn't teaching him about? The one thing that he needed the most? You think I planned that? I just got caught up in it. Caught up in the excitement. To be honest, I'll just tell you it was pride mostly. Because I was living vicariously through my son. That's the reality. I tell you, I'm not against sports. I love sports. I want to tell you, when sports are your God, that's a problem. When they're here and God's here, that's a problem. And I, it's not sports. It can, be, it can be fishing, dancing. You just insert worldly pleasure, worldly thing here. And I'll tell you, when you pour out your jar one day, you're going to look at your life. And your kids know what's in that jar. They know what's in that jar. And all I'm going to ask you today to end our lesson is this. What's in your jar right now? If you were to pour it out, what's in there? Because that's all that matters. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com. Or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.